This morning, I wanted to take a little pause on our, our series of, on Moses because I was just struck by a, a phrase and it just kind of kept coming back to me throughout the week. And so I thought, well, okay, if it's coming back, I'll, we'll look at it. Um, and it's, pro- it's from a very familiar passage. In fact, most people can kind of quote from it because, uh, or at least part of it, because it's from the Lord's Prayer. Um, and, you know, we know from the passage in Luke, uh, we won't turn there, but it's in Luke 11 where the disciples, and you kind of kind of read between the lines and they, they're observing Jesus praying. And, and after he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, can you teach us to pray? And perhaps they were seeing the power of his prayer life and, and what he was receiving from his father. And they were impacted by his prayer life. And, you know, they, they recognized there's power there, that he had an ability to connect with heaven. And, and he was receiving direction and strength and anointing. And so they're like, Lord, can we, can we have some of that? Would you teach us to pray like you pray? And, and so in considering that, I want to look, um, instead of reading at Luke, that kind of gives us one little aspect, but Matthew is the longer version. And we're just going to read two verses from that. So Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. Jesus' response is, After this manner, therefore pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, you know, I had to stop there because that phrase really kind of jumped out at me. Here's Jesus praying, thy will be done on earth. And so when, when Jesus gives us this teaching, how are we to pray? And how can we enter into a life of prayer, the experience of prayer that he was demonstrating to his disciples you know, and of course, he wasn't just giving us a pat, like words to pray. Okay, if you want to pray, just repeat after me, right? That, you know, we can pray that, but it doesn't get us too far. I mean, even, you know, people who have been to enough church services can memorize that and can follow along when the pastor says, let's pray. And you can just re- repeat it from rote memory. So it wasn't words to pray, and it wasn't just a pattern, but it was an example of a life. Of prayer. And so one of the things that the Son of God is praying is, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? In heaven, everything rotates around the will of the Father. There's nothing done in heaven that does not flow with his will. What's the contrast between heaven and earth? There's a lot of stuff done on, on earth that's not according to his will. That's our whole problem. That's the problem with, of mankind. If all of a sudden everything shifted to flow with the will of God, well, that's going to happen, right? <laughs> that when he comes again. There's some, there's some uh, we read about that in the millennium. There's a few rebellious people, but the Lord straightens them out. But really, what it comes down to is, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it's all about. That's where the true power and the life of prayer comes from. It's God's will being done. And and there's several thoughts uh, 
we can consider from these verses, of course, we could preach a whole series on, you know, this, this prayer of Christ and the meaning. But the, the first thing I just wanted to bring out is, and it's really, it's, it's the single mo- most important thing that can be accomplished on this earth is the will of the Father, the will of God. And, you know, actually, when I was kind of studying out the will of God, and that phrase and that concept in the New Testament. In fact, that's only really found in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, that wasn't really mentioned as much and wasn't really thought about, oh, the will of God in heaven. I just followed the law. But really, the law is to point us to obeying the will of heaven and our Father. And it's really a diverse subject when you study it in the New Testament. It's, it's actually kind of an interesting study to think about it. But at its core, it's described by the Apostle Paul. In fact, he mentions it the most, the will of God in the New Testament. But in Romans 12 and verse 2, he says it, that as a, parting of, a part of the calling of saints, that we are to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That's our calling. Doesn't that kind of like illuminate what our lives are to be like as Christians a little bit more? Because we think, well, as Christians, we're just to be, you know, we're to confess Christ and witness and be a light. But actually, no, he says our lives are to prove the the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Doesn't that kind of make you a little nervous in one sense? You mean as a Christian, my testimony should be a proof of the perfect will of God? That's that's God's desire. You see, and that's what you kind of kind of bring it tied into other analogies like the cornerstone. You know, when we align our lives to the cornerstone, we're aligning our lives to the perfect, the good the acceptable, what is acceptable to heaven? The will of our Father. You know, that's the whole job that we have on earth is just flow with the will of God for our lives and then have part in bringing the will of God to pass in the lives of others and for his purposes. And as I said, it's a diverse subject because, you know, there's verses that reference the will of God relating to our calling as saints um, and that we're to be full of joy. That's the will of God. We're to be full of joy um, of, of how he wants to deliver us. That's his will. Of how we're to be servants. Of how we're to be sanctified. Of how we're to have patience and endure. Of how we're to live according to his will. And at times, it's his will that we suffer and endure to the end and overcome. But in doing so, it's his will that we receive the promise and endure forever. All of those things have to do with the will of God being fulfilled in our lives. And that's just a little short survey. It's not even covering every aspect of his will. But our the sole purpose of our life is to flow with the will of God. That his will would be done on earth, and earth being us. And then he can use us to accomplish his will other places starts with us first, though. 
Now, the second aspect, right? So we, we considered it's, it's us and the will of God. That's what's most important. But then we see from this phrase in the Lord's Prayer, it's our involvement in his will coming to pass in the earth at large, right? Because here's Jesus. He's the son of God. And what's he doing? And, you know, we can see in many references to his, his prayer life, the real culmination of that effort and that prayer is, Father, let your will be done. Let your will be done in the life of these disciples. Let your will be done in Israel. Let your will be done in the church. And so that was his purpose, that thy will be done on earth. And that's, that's true for Christ. And if it's true for Christ, it's true for us. Our calling is to be a part and be partakers of the, of the work of God's will being accomplished in the earth and in the lives of others. And it's amazing when you think about it that our creator would ask us to be involved in the bringing about of his will. What a privilege. Of all of the, the billions and billions of people that have been born throughout the ages, here we have been given the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of bringing the will of our Creator to pass. And I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to dance for joy when we look back and see the times we did that. And we took advantage of that. And we, we availed ourselves of the opportunity to bring His will to pass. We'll, we'll look at the ways we can do that. But, you know, in, in reality, that's what it's all about. And when we get to heaven, we're going to be so grateful that we took, the, uh, took advantage of those opportunities. Lord, accomplish your will in the earth. Let your will be done. Now, of course, that this brings us to a difficult reality concerning the will of God. Because I mentioned there's a contrast between heaven, where his will is, that's it, and earth, where uh, his will is not always done. And that's where the problem of man, and, that, and that's really, that's the struggle of the ages. It's the struggle between the will of God and the will of man. And a lot of times on earth, the will of man, you know, wins to our detriment. But, you know, sometimes we can pray and we can, you know, sometimes, and this is part of the, the danger, the lesson of, of that we have to learn as believers, because even in our prayer life, we can pray and say, Lord, I would like this to take place. Lord, I want this and that to happen. And what's tragic is if we pray according to our own will, you know, some, if we pray enough, God might say, well, if you really want that, I might give that to you. Be careful. You know, sometimes we can pray for our own will to come to pass. And, and you know, sometimes it's a lesson learned. Other times it can be quite tragic. But we recognize that is where that the great battle takes place. It's between our will and the will of heaven, the will of the Father. You know, even Christ had to face that battle between the will of his humanity and the will of his heavenly Father. But he's our example because, you know, he defeated his own will and the will of the Father is what reigned in his life, and that's what he lived to do. And, you know, we see that in the garden, the kind of the culmination of that battle. Matthew 26 and verse 42, 
you know, he was praying in the garden the night before he went to the cross and, it, and he was praying and then he went back the second time and he prayed saying, oh, Father, if this cup may not pass from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And so in his humanity, he was saying, Lord, <laughs> there's a willing that does not want to drink this cup, but I choose your will. And he defeated everything else that did not flow with the will of his father. You know, he yielded to, to the will of God. And that's our example. The problem is, is that if our will is the one that, that wins, that conquers, it can cause a lot of destruction, a lot of difficulty for our lives and for the lives of others. You know, I was just considering, um, this is actually a story from way back in church history. Does anyone remember the Crusades? Right? That was some misbegotten adventures for the church that really was a, a black mark, you know, of anyone who considers church history. That was, that was the bad part, the dark part. It was the dark ages. Right? It was the dark ages because they thought, we'll go back and take the Holy Land. And, and their, you could say their catchphrase or their, what they would say is, God wills it. Well, the problem was, is they went about looting and destroying and murdering and killing many people in the name of God and that was not godly. But their, their, their saying was, God wills it. And it was so terrible because they were you know, using the name of God to do their own will. And, and how destructive that was. And you know, even today, people say, well, the church did this and the name of God. And it was so terrible. So, yes, it was. But... Yeah, newsflash, they were not following God. That, that was ungodly. But yet, they were trying to dis disguise their own will as the will of God. And so this, this life is really an opportunity to align ourselves to the will of God. You know, and through many different experiences, God will work in us and give us the opportunity. Will you follow me? Will you align yourself to this cornerstone. And, and, you know, really, there's only one way that we can be aligned to the cornerstone. And that's by being changed, by being transformed, by God bringing us to that place of, of surrender of our will and taking on and receiving his will. And, you know, we can consider some more verses of the Apostle Paul. You know, he could speak with authority on this matter because he started off in his own will in fact, he was using that disguise, so to speak, because he, he thought in his mind, well, I'm doing the will of God, except he was persecuting the church, right? And so in reality, he was diametrically opposed to the will of God until God met him on the road to Damascus and he was realigned, you know? And, and so he says this in 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 3, this is the will of God, even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication. So here is the will of God, that we be sanctified, which means being holy, set apart, consecrated for the master's use. And so being aligned with the will of God means living a life set apart for the use of God. You know, in ancient times, this Greek word for sanctified, it could be used to describe a, a religious object or a religious altar or a building, and that couldn't be used for any other purpose 
but for that religious purpose. And so in the New Testament, this word is being used to describe us as holy vessels, is that we cannot be used, because we're bought with a price, we cannot be used for any other purpose but to bring about the will of God. We're sanctified. This is his will. And, you know, we can fulfill his will by following that pathway of being set apart for his use. Now, we also read this verse earlier. I'll read the whole verse here in Romans 12 and verse 2. It says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, that's the effect of true transformation that we may prove what is good and acceptable, the perfect will of God. You know, and so that's our goal, to prove the perfect, the good, the acceptable and perfect will of God. But that only happens through transformation, where our mind and our thoughts are changed. You know, that we, we have to start recognizing, well, we probably started, but yet there's that continual process of recognizing Hmm, my thoughts are not his thoughts in this area. I think I need to change, right? I'm not fully aligned. His way is a little higher in this, and so I need to be brought up to his ways. And so because of that, we, we say, Lord, renew my mind. Change me in this area. Cleanse me so that my life can prove and demonstrate your perfect will. And of course, he does that line by line, precept by precept, here a little, there a little. You know, that's, that's the Christian life. But in every step, he's transforming us so that we can prove what is the perfect will of God. And, you know, really, that's kind of how we, how we enter into our calling. That's really a part of our vision. You know, in Psalm 107, King David is looking back at, at Israel's time in the wilderness. And I, I actually, I mentioned that we're taking a break from Moses, but this is where we can bring Moses back into this, this topic. Because David said something interesting about Moses. Psalm 103 and verse 7. Oh yeah, Psalm 103, not 107. 103 and verse 7, it says, He made, his ways, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, plenteous in mercy. And so Israel saw the acts of God, right? They saw the manifestation of God's power through his judgment on Egypt and the fire that came upon the mountain. But Moses had a different experience, right? Because he knew God's ways. In the Hebrew, that means his steps or his pathway. But it was because he came near unto God. When Israel said, well, if I come near that mountain, I'll die. And that was true because what would die in them was their own will. Moses had died and he was willing to come unto God and say, God, I want your will. I want your law. I want to follow you. And that's the difference. You see, Israel was following God in the way, but they, they didn't really know him and know his ways. They just saw the acts and the power. But Moses drew near because he wanted to know the ways of God. And, you know, as New Testament believers, we have the opportunity to know his ways 
but that's only as we come near, or in, in New Testament terminology, it's coming within the veil and into his presence. More, and we come to know him much more than just by observing the mighty acts. You know, we can, we can see miracles take place, but never know the God who performs those miracles. But that's only as we come unto him and surrender our will to him. You know, Jesus made a, a statement of how we can know God in, in John 7 and verse 17. How can we know his truth and know his ways? He said, if any man will do his will, he will know the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. And so that's the key. How can we know God and know his truth? It's if anyone will do his will. And so, in closing, <laughs> I just want to consider two, two thoughts very quickly of, of how we can take part in fulfilling his will. And we kind of see this in, in the prayer we read earlier. Because the first thing is, is a dedication to doing his will. It's saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to align myself to the cornerstone. You know, and that was David in the sense that um, he was a man after God's own heart for a specific reason. And, you know, we can read that his words in Psalm 40 and verse 8, where he said, Lord, I delight to do your will. That's what brought him to that place. He realized the will of God was the most important thing in his life. More important than the burnt offerings and the sacrifices. And so he said, Lord, if that's what it's it, I love it. I delight to do it. And that's the place God wants to bring us to. Of course, we realize it's a, it's a learning. It's a pathway of learning. And, and that's why David also prayed this in Psalm 143 and verse 10. He said, Lord, teach me to do your will. It doesn't come naturally. And so we have to cry out, Lord, teach me, help me, change me so that I can do your will. And sometimes it's, Lord, even give me the willingness and the desire to do your will because when it comes down to it and when we're honest, we don't want to do his will, They're because of the conflict that's in our lives. And so it's, it's that place of saying, Lord, I want to do your will. I want that to be the most important and the primary thing. But there's, there's that other aspect that Jesus gave us that example of because it was in the prayer. You see, how was his will accomplished? It started with Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so his will, one of the primary ways the, the will of the Father is accomplished is through prayer and a life of prayer. Right? Just as Jesus instructed his disciples. And, and really that's something we have to be mindful of is that to be involved in the work of his kingdom, it means being involved in prayer. Because prayer is how his will is brought to pass. And of course, we could do a whole message on that, right? Just on that thought of, of prayer. But here's just a, a few concepts, you know, because we can, we can understand prayer and so forth, but the, really the, the true key in prayer is praying according to his will, right? That's, that's where our prayers really become effective because if we don't pray according to his will, right? There's two possibilities. Either nothing will happen or something <laughs> that we don't want 
to happen will happen. Right? James actually tells us, he's like, the two reasons why our prayers are effective, you know, we don't turn there, but it's in James chapter four, is he says, first, we have not because we ask not. So we haven't been praying. That's, that's, that's a big problem in getting our prayers answers. We're not praying. But the second is we, we don't receive because we ask amiss or we ask according to our own desires or our own will. You know, and so we want to, to have that, that thought of really, Lord, I want my prayers to be effective. I want to be involved in the work of your kingdom. So that means, number one, Lord, what is your will? What do you want to do? Of course, that story Pastor Bailey shared many times, you know, where he was praying for a car and someone came up to him and said, hey, I've got a car here. This is, it's a great car that you can buy from this shop. And he said, to his wife, let's pray for that car. And so they prayed, Lord, would you give us this car? It looks really good. And, and the Lord gave him the car. And of course, his, his testimony was, well, the car turned out to be a lemon. <laughs> it was horrible. It was breaking down all the time. And it was so bad that he went to the Lord and said, Lord, why did you give us this car? And the Lord said, because you asked for it. <laughs> He's like, you didn't ask me, is it my will for you to have this car? And he said, that was one of the biggest lessons he ever learned. So he said, Lord, I want to know, what's your will? Do you want us to have this car? Of course, and then he tells the funny story of how he had to get rid of it. So he said, Lord, would you sell this for us? And, but you know, the greatest privilege we have in this life is to be involved in the will of God being fulfilled upon earth and upon the, you know, in our lives and in the lives of his people. And Jesus gives us that example in prayer of his will being done. And I'll just close with one more story because it, it involves that thought of the real work of the kingdom is done in prayer. And I'm sure many of you have already heard this story, but you know, back in the 1940s in Scotland, uh, there was a church that was just struggling to keep its doors open. You know, the, they had a few faithful people in that church and, and they actually had two members who never went to church because they were in their 80s and they were infirm and frail and one was blind and another was crippled. But these two ladies refused to allow their infirmities to prevent them from being involved in the work of the kingdom of God. And, and so they felt convicted that God wanted to move in their church and in their community. And so they purposed to pray. In fact, it says they turned their house into a house of prayer. Anyone who wanted to come and pray were invited and they would have prayer meetings. They would have a bonfire at night, you know, and just pray out under the stars for God to move in their church and for God to move in their community. They wanted, they wanted to see the power of God come. And so they just kind of prayed and, you know, people got discouraged after a while. We're not really seeing a lot done, but one day these ladies felt they were to invite someone named Duncan Campbell. And he was, he was a revivalist in England, and he came to their church. And he's, he said afterwards, you know, his testimony was, I didn't bring revival. The groundwork was already laid in prayer. But when he came, he, had, he started having revival meetings for several weeks, and the power of God started to be poured out as they had never seen it before. And hundreds were filling these meetings. And it said it started to have such an effect on the community that the taverns had no business, right? All their customers were going to church instead of going to the taverns, to the bars, to drink. And they started to close. 
And uh, I think at, at one point they were saying in the community, they didn't know one person who wasn't touched by the power of God. They were all drawn to God. But it started in that work of prayer because these ladies wanted to see God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. And when that happens, that's where the true change takes place to transform lives, cities, and communities. And he's asking for our involvement. And so it starts with that commitment, you know, those who will do his will, his will be done in us. Of course, we can pray like David, Lord, teach me, teach me to do your will. Make me one who will delight to do the will of God. And, and then we prove that through our conduct and also through our prayer. Through, our, you know, through that we can prove what is that good, perfect, or I think, it, wait, it's good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So that having done all, we can receive the promise. Father, we just thank you. Thank you that you have a plan and a purpose for us, that you have a will that you would have done in our lives. And Lord, we just come to you today. We, Lord, cry out to you as David. Lord, come and teach us your will and help us, Lord, to flow with you. Lord, if our will is stiff, Lord, would you make it soft and bendable that we can yield to you, oh Lord, and that you would just work. And Lord, that you would move in our lives Lord, even move in our prayer life. And Lord, that you would make us those who could be involved in bringing your will to pass on earth as it's done in heaven. Oh, make us a people that can be involved in the work of your kingdom in such a way we ask. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.